Welcome, everybody, to the Too High Podcast. I'm Seth Galina, alongside Deontay Lee, and we are joined by a special guest, our, our good friend, Mr. Charles McDonald. What's going on? Yeah, I'm doing great. Uh, it's been a good time this season. I think we're all having fun watching the NFL uh, in college football. Uh, you know, it, it's it's kind of nice that we've reached the, the halfway point. We're kind of getting a clear picture of uh, what these teams are, really, in both leagues, NFL and college. And, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm just really happy to be here, really happy to be alive. Wow, things must be going great in your life for this type of enthusiasm <laughs> right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm excited for you. Like, you're making me excited by the enthusiasm that you're showing right now. Every day when I wake up, I just like hop out of bed and I'm like, let's go. I'm ready to start the day. So, Charles, um, you worked for FDW, you've worked for the New York Daily News, you've worked for SB Nation, you've worked all around. Um, but you are a Georgia Bulldogs fan. I am. Uh, born in Decatur, family is in Atlanta. Uh, my mom and my aunt both went to UGA. So, even though I didn't go there, that fandom got passed down to me and gotta say this is the first time it feels like really good to be a fan of them in, in quite a while I mean you know you had the Rose Bowl year where uh they beat Oklahoma but even when you go into like that Maddie game against Alabama you still feel uh a little bit uneasy but this year like if there was any year for Georgia to win the national championship it's got to be got to be this year I mean the offense I think it's become like a little bit underrated uh just because you know they don't have a lot of uh, guys that you've heard of uh, out there on offense, but it's obviously the defense that has, you know, captured really everyone's eyes and, and how dominant they are, the way they play, the amount of talent they have. I mean, it's really just like the total complete package in terms of uh, that defense. So, you know, they should shut down most teams that they play. Uh, I, I mean, they, I think I saw something last week, I don't know if it was before the Kentucky game or after the Kentucky game where they were giving up like 0.4 points per possession, which is just <laughs> unbelievably dominant. Like it's, it's one of the best defenses we've ever seen. And, you know, they got to go in and cross the finish line. And I'm tentatively excited about that. Being, being internet pals with Chuck or really any Georgia or Falcons fan is hilarious because he'll, he knows because we've had these conversations that I was pretty early on the Georgia is going to win a national championship this year train. And then the second that I think they blew out Arkansas, I think I came in the chat right after that, and I was like, okay, never mind. And then after Alabama lost to Texas A&M, that's when I knew I was completely infected with the reverse jinx Georgia Bulldog fan <laughs> curse because I came right in after that and was like, all right, this is happening way too perfectly. There is zero chance that they're this good and it's this wide open for them and they're actually going to follow through with this. Well, see, that's the problem because – this goes in the Falcons fandom too. Like they are that good. Like there's been a lot of Falcons teams that are really good. A lot of Georgia Bulldogs teams that are really good, but like, you know how it is down, down in Georgia. Like you just find a way to shoot yourself in the foot, like somewhere, some, somewhere down the line. Like, you know, people, they rag on like Georgia sports, like, Oh, you guys suck so bad. Actually, we don't suck. We're pretty good. And that's the biggest problem. <laughs> Hold on. We're going to get a, we're going to get a quote to a quote graphic. That's just like, actually, actually <laughs> Charles McDonald. <laughs> <laughs> we, we don't suck in like the competency is like the annoying part. Like you get close so many times and it's just like, for lack of a better terms, I hope I can say it on here. It's like blue balls. Like, you know, you, you, you just can't, can't win that Super Bowl. You can't win that Natty. You can't win, you know, the NFC championship game. But you're there a lot. Like, you're there in competitive situations. So, you know, I think 
hopefully for 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 Kirby Smart, like he can kind of get this monkey off his back, and then we can start talking about Georgia, like we do Alabama, like we do Ohio State. These teams that have won national titles recently, because like they certainly have the talent to do it, they have the coach to do it. It's just do they have the luck to do it? And that's never been a thing that has existed in Georgia sports. See, and I feel like because the Braves are in the World Series right now, this is setting up for something bad to happen. Yeah, I've, you saw seen, this last night. <laughs> I've seen this story before. I've seen this before. Yeah, you saw what happened last night, 7-2, after they blew him out in the first game. It's it's going gonna, it's gonna to get dicey for them. It's 1-1 it's one, one right now? Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I wanted to ask you. So first thing, we're sticking on Georgia for a second. I think they're like said this before, but I think they're like 2011 LSU in regards to their offense. So the 2011 LSU defense, one of the best defenses of all time. 2021 Georgia, one of the best defenses of all time. And then we've kind of like well, underrated that their offense, and but they were blowing everybody out. And it's like, so Georgia, like, okay, yeah, maybe, uh, you know, Stetson Bennett is whatever, JT Downs is whatever. But when you put this whole thing together, they're scoring a bunch of points and no one's coming even close to them. And unfortunately uh, it didn't want end well for a 2011 LSU. Uh, one of the lowest moments of my life is watching the national championship in 20 in 2011 in the super Superdome. But um, yeah, I think they're one of those teams that's just rolling over teams and we're kind of underrating the offense just because like you said, there's no, you know, Pickens isn't playing and so on and so forth. Like we just don't know the names yet. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they got some dudes like this Brock Browers kid. Oh, my God. I, oh, my God. Oh my God. I don't know where this dude came from. I, I remember the first time I watched him step on the field, I didn't understand, like, how someone who's built like that was, like, moving like that. Because uh, I feel like when you think of, like, a, a freak tight end, like, you're thinking of, like, someone who's kind of built like the other guy they have, Darnell Washington, like a right. big 6'6", 260-pound freak. But, you know, Bowers is, like, they got him listed like, 6'4", 230. I'm not even sure if he quite weighs like that much, but the dude's just a, he's just a baller. Like he just make plays after plays after plays. And they just have guys that kind of step up right at the, the right spots. And you have, you have like the most Georgian name of all time outside of Stetson Bennett before with Lad McConkey, uh, a, a walk on. I think he's a walk on uh, wide receiver. He's a freshman. He's like one of the most reliable targets. So, you know, these aren't guys that you've heard of, but when you turn on the game and you watch them, you're like, oh, like these guys can. Uh, actually play a little bit and they're going to be more talented than like you know 90 percent of teams they play but when it's time to, to beat Alabama or or one of those like caliber of teams that's where like the questions for me come in like is Stetson Bennett good enough to get past Alabama is you know Labaconky going to get open against some five-star recruit from Alabama those are where I kind of get tripped up and I don't know if that's just me like with PTSD watching them fail at the worst moments or if this is like a legitimate thing to be worried about. It's funny you bring up Washington and then obviously, you know, we've talked a lot about like Jordan Davis and with Georgia, when I watch them, it's like this weird cognitive dissonance I get because all the data says that they're good and, you know, all the analytics are on their side, but there's something about watching them that makes me just put all that to the side and just appreciate that. At least at the college level, you can get a team like this where it's like, oh, you can actually be bigger, faster, stronger and tougher than everybody. And it's so obvious watching snap after snap like that Arkansas game sticks out to me so much because that's a team that prides itself on being physical and you could just see the heart get ripped out of their chest and that's not something you see at the NFL level and it's something I really appreciate in watching Georgia and that's why I think they will get it done this year because I don't watch there's really not any other teams outside of like the best of Alabama 
you can watch and be like, okay, they're bigger than you at every position, faster, smarter, stronger. Oh, and they run the best scheme. Like that's where Georgia is at now. And I think it's crazy. We've talked about this. I think like, like the first week of the season, we talked about how it's almost incredible how the coaching staff, along with just the type of players they recruit, gets those defensive players to like have no fear for, for anything. I mean, I know you don't see teams like this. This was like Alabama back in the day, and, and, and Kirby has kind of taken whatever you learned there, and they've morphed it into even a bigger machine of them just playing. We don't care about our bodies, basically. It is right. crazy. And both of you guys play defense at the college level, and, you know, I, I'm just a little offensive guy, but, like, I didn't – when I played, like, safety when I was, like, 14 years old, I didn't like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I didn't like that right. shit. And oh, they trust just, me, bro. They... I made business decisions all the time. Oh, hell yeah. I was just about to say, like, like we've all played football before. Like, you know, like, if you play football, like, there's a base, like, a baseline level of toughness that you got to have just to be able to be able to step on the field. And then there's the guys who just don't care. Like, like there's the guys who take that next step. And, you know, the, the Kobe Dean. I don't know how this guy like even gets out of bed the day after games. I mean, he is flying through the offensive line, decking 300 pound guards, like hitting running backs, like the play he had um, against Kentucky last week where, you know, he's, <laughs> he's, they, they, Kentucky had like a walk-in touchdown on the screen. You got three offensive linemen and the Kobe Dean is literally the only person on that side of the field. Like they motioned or did routes. Everyone else is on the right side of the field. It's N'Kobe Dean versus three offensive linemen and a running back. And he gets a tackle for loss. And I'm like, what's wrong with you, dude? Like, what? <laughs> that, that, that was my first thought. I'm like, what's going on up there? And yeah. they have so many guys like that on our defensive line. And when you pair that mentality with just being a goddamn better athlete than the person you're going against, like, you're going to be really, really good. Now, you know, I thought that. Uh, our pal Betts, you know, who is, you know, on and offline uh, sporadically, he, he made a good point uh, the other week where, you know, he's basically like Georgia is just taking the maniacs and just putting them out there and like uh, uh, honing their game where it's like a little bit different where, you know, Alabama has become like such this well-oiled machine that it almost feels like they lose their edge a little bit, but Georgia is just, they're rabid dogs. They're here to punch you in the mouth and it's so much fun to watch. If you enjoyed this college football discussion, you might also enjoy Homefield Apparel. Homefield Apparel is a premium collegiate clothing brand out of Indianapolis, Indiana, home of the Hoosiers. Incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs. Homefield is in the middle of big new Saturday season two, where they launch a new school collection every Saturday at noon Eastern for 16 straight weeks. So um, the aforementioned George Bulldogs, uh, my LSU Tigers, Deontay's USC Trojans, all there. Um, so go to homefieldapparel.com, use promo code PFF to get 15% off your first purchase at, again, homefieldapparel.com, promo code PFF to get 15% off your first purchase. Okay, um, sticking to fandom, I have a, actually have a question for you that I forgot uh, I was going to ask, but I wanted to ask you this, Chuck. So I'm a Saints fan, you're a Falcons fan. It's like one of the underrated, it's probably not even underrated as much anymore over the past 10 years because they've been two pretty good teams. Uh, it's become like a, a pretty well-known rivalry that both fan bases really do not like each other. But one of the things that we can agree on, I think, I hope I'm, I'm not uh, out of line here, but one of the things I think we can agree on 
a Saints fan and a Falcons fan is like, I don't care about the Panthers or the Bucks. Oh, no. they're not rivals. To, like, I know we play them every year, and obviously the Bucks just won a Super Bowl in Tampa Bay, and it's like I, I just, I can't get up for those games as, as much as I get up for the Falcons. Yeah, I don't, I don't care at all. Like, they're they're Bucks fans, <laughs> like t- trying to tweet at like Falcons and Saints fans, like, ah, we won the Super Bowl, but we don't care about you. Like, we're fighting with each other. I don't give a damn about the Bucks. Okay. I'm not worried about Sam Darnold and the Panthers. Like. Even the year when when Cam took them to fifteen and one, that's not my enemy. I I I got beef with Drew Brees. I got beef with Jimmy Graham. I got beef with Cam Jordan. Like all those guys. Like I I, I honestly like I'm at the point where I could stop rooting for the Falcons. And I'll still root against the Saints. Like I, <laughs> I, I it's like in my DNA, and I, I I keep trying to like remember a point like when I first started hating the Saints, but. I don't know when that started happening. I just know that I don't like them and uh, I wish bad things upon them. Like I remember 2016, uh, 2016 Falcons, what a terrible year. But I, so I, I, the last game of the Georgia Dome, it was Saints Falcons uh, like week 17 and uh, I flew down for the game. And it's like one of the most electric atmospheres that I had been in, in sports. Like obviously because the Falcons were good, but also, we hate the Saints like so much. Like I, there's so many arguments between Saints and Falcons fans. Like I almost saw a fist fight break out in the bathroom. Like it's really, really that serious. And I mean, you know, I remember, I think even after the game, like there were people fighting in the streets uh, uh, between Saints and Falcons fans. Like I, I, I hate it when people who aren't like in the rivalry, when they go, Oh, that's Saints Falcons stuff. That's fake. No, it's real. Like it's real blood out here, man. Like if you, mess with the Saints, like, Seth might be the only Saints fan that I have allowed into my life. <laughs> <laughs> I get the, I get the benefit of not, like, it's been so long since I've lived in New Orleans that it's like, I don't, I don't feel, this is the kind of thing that sucks, is like, I don't feel the rivalry like that, as much as I do, like, I'm, like, talking hockey, like a Montreal, Toronto, Montreal, Boston, where I feel it, because it's in the, it, it's, you're connected to it when you live in the city, I don't right. live in New Orleans, so, but I still, um, uh, I still dislike the Falcons, and honestly, I dislike you, Chuck. So <laughs> there you go. I dislike um, you sometimes too. <laughs> <laughs> right. Let's stick on the Falcons because um, they've they've had an up and down season, but at the same time, they're like I think they're like a game out of the wild card, so they're still there. And recently, Kyle Pitts has become the Kyle Pitts I think we all expected him to be. Um, maybe not yet, but the Kyle picks we expected at some point, but it's already happening. So when you have been watching the Falcons recently, what have you seen from that offense and Pitts? Well, I'll give Arthur Smith this. Like I was so pissed at the start of the season because, you know, when you go back to the, their off season and you, you take the route that they do where, you know, you're going to hire Arthur Smith, which, you know, in a vacuum is, I, I thought was, I was very happy with the hire, pretty pleased. And then, you know, the important part is when you get to the draft and, you know, if you're going to take Pitts over, you know, quarterback like Justin Fields or, or Mac Jones were your choices at that time, you know, you got to be good right away because, you know, Matt Ryan is, I think, like 36, uh, you know, the clock's ticking on, on really how long this is going to be a viable option. So, you know, you need this to be good right away. And they weren't, I mean, that, that first game against the Eagles, uh, they got bludgeoned. You know, the, the the baffling thing about that Eagles game to me was it, it looked like Arthur Smith, like, wasn't even sure of what he wanted to do with his personnel. I mean, 
you know, they're getting punched in the mouth by Fletcher Cox and the Javon Hargrave, and they're still lining up in 21 personnel with a fullback trying to run up the middle, just getting clobbered every single play. Uh, you know, a lot of that is like the offensive line uh, stinks right now. But, you know, I, I, I thought that Arthur Smith might have like a better grasp on like the limitations of his players coming into week one. And he didn't. Uh, and I think you kind of see every week it's starting to get like a little bit clearer for them as to like what kind of team they want to be. You know, they didn't know how to use pits at the start. And now they're kind of realizing, oh, wait, just put them anywhere and throw it to them. And uh, it's probably going to work out. Uh, and I think that the it, it was kind of bad, like in the short term thing. But that Jets game where Calvin Ridley had to miss because, you know, he needed, you know, a little mental health break. Which I th- I applaud them for giving applaud that to give that to them, but missing him for that game kind of forced them to figure out how to use Kyle Pitts in uh, effective ways for uh, for their offense. And I think you saw like the culmination of what can be like a truly like explosive playmaker last week against the Dolphins, where you know I think one of the most impressive things was you know this kid just turned twenty one like two weeks ago, and you you put him on Xavier Howard on you know one of the last plays of the game when you gotta have it and he just runs right by him matt ryan throws a perfect pass drop in the bucket and then you kick the field goal to win and if he can do that like at 21 and you know we're, we're talking about the most yards for you know a tight end ever through the first six games i don't really know like what the ceiling on this guy even looks like it's not even something that i can really comprehend because like i look at him now and i'm like who the hell is supposed to guard this guy i saw like jalen ramsey because if he's cooking Xavier Howard now and he's cooking, you know, uh, guys like Jabril Peppers, who's, I mean, obviously not on that level, but, you know, his third game of the year, like when you got to have it, he just cooks Jabril Peppers late in that Giants game. Like he's just such a supreme talent. And now the next step for them, I think, on offense, because honestly, I don't, I don't think the running game is anything you're going to figure out this year. I mean, outside of Cordero Patterson explosives, like that's kind of shed. Uh, but, you know, the next step for them is, like, how do we get Calvin Ridley going? And maybe, you know, that week off, a couple of weeks removed from that, maybe he can get going again. But if you can get Ridley and Pitts going the way they were supposed to, it's still a bad team, but it's fun. And that's all I want. I you don't that. think uh, Calvin Ridley was faking his depression? Or? No, I, I don't think that. I think, you know, that was really real. You know, it's funny, though, because there was a rumor, like, that he didn't have a passport. And he had to, like, like some dumb rumor on Twitter that, he couldn't go to London because he didn't have a passport. And then uh, he had to like actually address that. Like, no, uh, I have a passport. I just wasn't feeling well. So that's a good. That's Sorry, Deontay, I cut you off because I have to put a joke in there. <laughs> <laughs> Once you um, said the depression thing, I was like, oh, that's yeah, good. I know. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I will cause problems on purpose. <laughs> um, but to me, I think the, the interesting thing to me is that it seems almost like it's one half an Arthur Smith thing, because I do think early in the year, they were probably trying to use him a little bit too much, like real tight end ish. Like mm-hmm. even if we're splitting you out, we're trying to work the ball underneath. And I think the other half of it is Matt Ryan probably saying, Hey, you know, the guy is six, fo- six, five, and he can run a four, four. How about we just run him on all the deep routes? Let's not use our bad receivers on the deep routes. Let's yeah. use the freak athlete on the deep routes. And if you give him those, I'll throw him the ball. So like all of his best graded routes for us are stuff that have are routes that have an, a, an average depth of target past 12 yards. Like his best route is a go, obviously, and it's 28 yards on his average depth of target. The next will be posts on 20 yards, average depth of target. It's crossing routes in the seams. 
So like sometimes the simplest answer is the best one. Get the guy that's taller, faster, and jumps higher than everybody else on these poor safeties and linebackers who have no shot and just throw the ball up. Line them up out wide on a corner and just throw the ball up and you get good results. So that to me has been the biggest thing is just giving the guy a shot to make explosive plays because he's probably outside of Calvin Ridley, the only explosive option that you guys have. Yeah. And I mean, just, just when you watch him play, it's, it's the fluidity in the body control, the DXL or the deceleration, like when it's time to come back and make a, a play on the ball. I mean, it's just the total package of a pass catcher that is like, once in a lifetime, you know, once in a generation type of talent that you're going to see, like when it comes to catching the ball, like he has no holes in this game. And that's crazy for someone this young. I think figuring out, and I'm looking at the, the data right now, and it seems like, so first two weeks of the season, their uh, most used personnel group was 11 personnel. And I think that's not the best fit for obviously what Pitts brings, because I think if you're going to play Pitts, you probably should put another tight end in the field yes. and be in 12 personnel. And then you can get a super multiple. So the first two weeks, that was their most used um, personnel grouping. And then since that time, most used personnel grouping is 12 personnel. So I think, you know, figuring out that stuff, you know, obviously you would have liked to do it um, from week one. Cause honestly, if they beat, if they, if they handle the Eagles and we know the Eagles aren't a good team, are, that may, that would put them at four and two, they're three and three right now. So that would put them at four and two, I believe. Like, all of a sudden, we're thinking very differently about this Falcons team um, if they would have kind of figured this out um, a little earlier. So do you think do you think this is a, potentially a playoff team? Uh, I mean, it is potentially because, one, like, the Panthers seem to be imploding, and then, you know, we'll see what happens with uh, those Saints game. But, you know, for now, you're in the mix, which is, like, a lot more than I would have said for them uh, coming into the season. I mean, the defense is still – Got bad. Like, yeah, yeah. It, they they can't cover a soul. And I, I mean, to me, the defense is not even like really a schematic thing. It's like, who are these dudes out here? Like, seriously, <laughs> who are they? I don't know. I don't know. Like, I, I was watching the game uh, a couple of weeks ago. I'm like, who the hell's number thirty nine? Like, out here guarding Terry McLaurin. Like, what is this? Uh, so that's going to be an issue for you. But man, like, if you have someone like Pitts, you can get Ridley going. I don't see why you can't be at least like feisty down the stretch. And I want to see what happens uh, when they play some of these better teams like the Cowboys and the Patriots and the Saints. But uh, for now, they seem to be getting it together. So I'll lay off on some of the mean things I've said about Arthur Smith in my group chat. I will say this. <laughs> if the Falcons make the playoffs, we probably need to have a conversation about contracting it back down to six seats because there's no yes. way. Like, at least when you talk about the defense, like I'm looking at their point differential, they're 500 and they're minus 41 in point differential. Yep. There's if that, if that kind of team makes the playoffs, I'm going to be very upset. And that says a lot about where the rest of the NFC is at. The yeah, NFC East is all bad. Um, I think we probably expected one more NFC West team to be competitive right now. Um, for me in particular, it was the 49ers. Um, and then obviously, you know, the NFC North, they always kind of claw at each other outside of the Packers. So yeah, the fact that this team is even in the hunt and then we'll see, like you said, after they played New Orleans and then some of the better teams on schedule, but we really got to have a talk about how much playoff football we actually need. If we let teams with minus point differentials, make it. I was there last year with the bears team that made the playoffs. That team stunk and they were allowed to be put into our sacred postseason, getting throttled by the Saints. Like, no one needs to see that. <laughs> uh, 
I didn't need to see that game at all. The Saints, the Saints needed a buy last week, and then instead they get uh, they they like they have to like crawl around in the muck with the Bears before losing to Tampa Bay. That, that's the only type of game the Bears play. Oh, it's this year is bad, man. Uh, we don't have to get into the yeah. We don't have to get into the Justin Fields discussion um, today. All right, so uh, let's move on to the. Uh, the Giants and the Jets, uh, your former, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Your former beat teams? I don't know. Like you were on the Giants and Jets. I used beat. to cover them. That's, that's you used to cover mean. them. That's the word. Okay. Yeah. You used to cover them. <laughs> and I think it's so it's interesting. So both of you guys uh, have written for the New York Times. Uh, basically, the, 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 the gist of each article is, are we ready to watch the Giants and the Jets yet? Or should we be watching the Giants and the Jets? So I'll pose that to you. Um, you can start with either team. Should we Should we be watching these teams? No, no. <laughs> right, no. And, and we'll get to the Chiefs now. So the Chiefs. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but can we, just for one sec, I have nothing to say about the Giants. I mean, that team is like not even real. Uh, but the Jets, dude, can we laugh at them for giving up 54 points to Mac Jones and Damian Harris? Dude. Oh my God! I, I don't know how much you guys watched that game, but I yeah. I just I I was so curious. Like, how does this happen? Like, even a bad team should be able to stop Mac Jones from scoring like thirty. You know, like the last time they held him twenty five and they threw four picks. This time I they walked, threw fifty. I walked away from the television to go play with my son, and when I came back, I it was a legit college game because every single two was in the game. They yep. put the entire second team on the depth chart in the game. You don't see that in the NFL. That is a level of ass beating that everybody should feel offended by. And they were still scoring too. Like, yes. <laughs> Just walking the ball down the field casually. I, so I, don't, I didn't even make it into the third quarter. I watched the first half uh, yesterday. And the Patriots, like, they just spammed, like, wham plays, draws, misdirections. That's it. And then Mac Jones has some easy throws on top of that. And I'm like, did you guys just like quit this week or something? Like, I, I don't blame you if you quit on this team if you're a Jets, if you're a Jets player. Like, this is clearly going nowhere. But I think I do think one thing that's interesting about the Jets, and I, I guess we can get into this too when we talk about the lines. It's like, you know, Salah is brought in to be this culture guy who's gonna be a huge 180 from Adam Gase. And I think that personality-wise, like he absolutely is, but this team definitely has like some quit in them. Like when things get bad, like they will turn it off pretty, pretty fast. I mean, you even saw it in that Patriots game in the first quarter, you're, you're getting hit with a misdirection play and there's a gaping hole in the middle of the field for Damon Harris to run or a screenplay of Jonathan Smith. And there's no one in front of him. Dude's just jogging after him, try to tackle. Like if this is how it looks like six games into this. I think it's fair to be a little concerned about like, the overall culture and how like guys feel about being on that Jets team. Like it's so different from what you see with the Lions. I'm like, well, this is what, this is what happens when you do the whole, Oh, we're going to tear down everything and get a whole bunch of young guys and, and pay for cheap players everywhere is you get a bunch of guys who aren't playing for anything. Like <laughs> yeah. if you're not Zach Wilson on that team or Corey Davis, what are you playing for right now? If you're a Jets player, what is there? What is drawing you there? Uh, I just got to get that check. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> look, hey, they, hey, there ain't nothing else here. I mean, they got, they're, they're about to be, uh, you know, based on what, like what betting numbers you look at, they're going to be like 10 point underdogs at home to the Bengals, a 10 point that's underdog gross. at home. That's, that's wild. So I, uh, I just don't understand how it's been like a decade 
since the Jets have been like relevant when Rex Ryan was going to the AFC championship games and you haven't done anything since then. Like you haven't even lucked into like a playoff bird. How is that possible? I, I, I'm going to say, honestly, they're bad. My draft priors tell me they took the wrong quarterback. So I, like, I don't see it on draft night, to be honest with you. Like I, I, so it's like tough for me to even project them going forward. Um, I think there's a path there for Zach Wilson to, to figure it out. But, and, and obviously you can fall back on some of the quote unquote traits that he has, but I, like, I think they might've missed on the quarterback again, man. Well, I'm like, and what's the fix? Like, what's the fix in the off season? Like right now they're basically only second to the Raiders in the amount of snaps that rookies have played on defense. So you're not going to go get a whole bunch of veteran defenders because you just spent your whole draft outside of Zach Wilson getting guys who can contribute on defense that are young. So are you going to spend all your money on veteran offensive players? I've seen that story a ton of times. And that's where you, that's how you end up with Daniel Jones, where you got all these talented receivers and a talented running back around you. And you look like maybe you're de- halfway decent in a near contract year. And the giants are going to end up tricking themselves into paying this man. Like he's a real quarterback. And then all your money is gone. <laughs> and now you're stuck being bad for three years. So I don't, I really don't know what the fix is. And I'm yeah. sure that they, they could not have seen, they could not have been prepared for the idea that Zach Wilson was not only going to come in and look like just like a rookie, but to actually look like he's not it. I think they're, they're in a real bad spot right now. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not totally out on Zach Wilson, but like if I was a Jets fan, like I definitely a little alarmed uh, at what I'm seeing here. And also just the fact that like, you go back to this offseason, they hire Michael Floor, who I, I don't think he's been pretty very good this year. Uh, but, you know, even then, you hire Michael Floor, you draft Zach Wilson, Elijah Barrett-Tucker, sign Corey Davis, draft Elijah Moore. You're trying. <laughs> and you're yeah. still getting the same exact results. As I know. Before. That's, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. the big problem. What? So you just brought up Daniel Jones before. Do we think that Dan? so I think I could probably speak for all of us when I say that, Daniel Jones is better than we thought. We th- I thought this guy was going to be awful coming out of Duke because um, he wasn't that great at Duke. And then you're like, okay, well, what's the upside here? And he's just been good. Like he's been, he's been so much better than I thought um, he would be. I wonder if you take away like a Jason Garrett and you give him, I don't know, like a Kevin Stefanski, you give him a, a you know, the, the type of environment that Kirk Cousins is in, that, that Baker Mayfield is in. And those type of quarterbacks, like, do could he be a viable option for a for like a team that's that has a good environment around him? I think he could. Honestly, with the Giants, I think you just gotta get gotta get rid of Jason Garrett, man. Yeah. Like, yes, this is the big thing because you you've invested a lot into that offense, where you know not only Daniel Jones, but you got Andrew Thomas, the left tackle, and before he got hurt, like he was playing really yep. good football this year. Uh, Saquon Barkley, Sterling Shepard, Evan Ingram, Kenny Galladay, Darius Slayton, like a lot of quarterbacks would like to have those guys to throw the ball to, to hand the ball off to. But, you know, for some reason, this offense can't get anything going. I know that those guys have been hurt, but even when they're on the field together, this is still, you know, not an impressive unit. I mean, they, they played against uh, the Falcons at home a few weeks ago, and that's when most of those guys were still healthy on the field and the offense just got totally shut down. So, uh, I, to me, like when we're talking about players, like to me, I, I don't want to like overthink about the Giants in the sense that 
oh, is Saquon Barkley good? Is Sterling Shepard good? Is Kenny? Yeah, these are good players, yeah. like, objectively good players. And the fact that they can't get anything going is that's a huge indictment on the coaching staff that has been straight up abysmal outside of like flashes of Patrick Graham over the past couple of years. Yeah, I would say, yeah, I'm with you on that. Like I will say for Daniel Jones specifically, it's not so much that he's good as much as like he's just not turning the ball over anymore. Yeah, he's not turning the ball over. He looks like just like a regular NFL quarterback, you know, with and he has a good supporting cast. The issue, though, is that because he started off his career this way, when you look like a regular NFL quarterback after that, that's typically when you get paid a lot of money because people think that you fix something when really it's more like your turnover luck has regressed back to the mean. Yep. And, and look, if you're a quarterback that, you know, isn't turning the ball over and has a good deep ball, like you got a spot in this league and, mm-hmm. and you can run too. Like, honestly, like outside of like Lamar, he might be one of the best quarterbacks running like the, their option stuff. It's, he, it's bizarre. He's the only quarterback that we really should be saying is sneaky athletic. Like he fits everything that we've always wanted a kid to be sneaky athletic in. He is sneaky athletic, period. There's no one, no one can ever take that mantle away. He is the sneaky athletic quarterback. Yep. Good. <laughs> all right. Yeah, you know, that's all how I need to spend on New York sports teams. I spent two years there. <laughs> did you did you inherit any other um, uh, sports teams living in New York? No. Jeez. No. Good for you. <laughs> I mean, I, I've been to Nets and Knicks games. Those are fun, but I, I don't want to root for them. Right. Okay. Um, so those are basketball teams. But we are talking about football, and it's football season. And you know what that means? It means we're going for two here with the sponsor of today's show that is Manscaped. Blitzing through hairs has never been easier, and it's time for you to join. Time for you, Chuck, to join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by using promo code PFF at manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping. It's three and out the window with all other trimmers. Now go tame that wildcat offense. The brand new Elon Moore 4.0 is here to take your defense to the next level. This fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. The Elon Moore 4.0 has a 7,000 RPM motor, a new multifunction on off switch that can engage a travel lock and gives you the ability to turn on the 4,000K LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. Just in case you have to shave you know, you, you know, you're taking a shower and the lights turn off. Uh, did I mention this trimmer is waterproof as well? Rain, snow, or sleet are no match for the waterproof power of the 4.0. There's no 15-yard penalty for this clipping. Get 20% off and free shipping with promo code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code PFF. Um, and whether it's football success or financial savvy, the right questions help set the stage for winning strategies. Western and Southern is teaming up with PFF's very own Chris Collinsworth to share insights that can help you that can help put you ahead on both your fantasy and financial scoreboards. Want to hear about Chris's old playing days or behind the scenes with Al Michaels on Sunday Night Football? How about a need to know for your financial future? Now you can ask about either or both. And every football or financial question you ask earns you a chance to win a catered party for February's Big game. Check out the Chris Collins with podcast and Western and Southern's Instagram for answers to the best questions each week. Submit your questions at westernsouthern.com slash askchris. One more time, that is westernsouthern.com slash askchris. Ask Chris. 
If you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description below. Remember, with Western and Southern, you can rest assured on game day. All right, let's get to the Kansas City Chiefs, um, another team you wrote about this week in your weekly four verts column. Uh, take it away. Me a little uncomfortable with the, the man's <laughs> stuff, but okay. Uh, <laughs> the Chiefs, I mean, personally, I, I'm not that concerned about like the offense. I like in, in the sense that a lot of these turnovers are just stupid and weird. Like, there's four that I can think of off the top of my head. Uh, one was Buffalo, right through Tyreek Hill's hands, pick six when they're trying to get back in the game. Week later, you got the same thing happening versus Washington, right through his hands, interception. Later in that quarter, you had what? Like the fumble and snap. Mahomes tries to get hero ball, gets hit and picked off. Uh, and then last week versus the Titans, there's another deflected ball that gets intercepted like um, an inch away from the ground for an incompletion. So, you know, I, when you look at the, the Chiefs, like I, I can't really bet on stuff like that happening every single week to them, even if that's happened so far because it's just so random and, and weird. Uh, but I think that the defense is like, I, I don't understand how they let it deteriorate to this level because with the chiefs, like you don't need to have like a super great defense. Like if you can just get to a spot where you're ranked like 18 to 22, you can get to a super bowl. Uh, but when you're the worst defense in the league and like you're letting Jalen hurts score 30 points on you, uh, and, and you're in that like realm where, you know, a Titans offense, which has been up and down throughout the season, they scored 27 points in the first half. It's just uh, a really, like, kind of alarming spot for them to be in. And I, honestly, with the defense, like, I don't know how you can fix this on the fly. With the offense, at least, I can go, all right, look, you got Mahomes, Kelsey, Tyree Kill, Andy Reid. Offensive line has been mixed results, but as a whole, like, you can definitely get by with these, these five guys up front. On defense, like, I don't know, and I think – there's more, no more damning indictment of their defense than, you know, you basically have Chris Jones, like, covering for, like, three spots on the defensive line. Like, whether it's got to be inside three technique, defensive end, they're asking him to do way too much because the other guys can't do all that much. Uh, you know, Frank Clark has been almost a non-factor since, uh, like, after that first year that they traded for him. Uh, the linebackers aren't that good. And to me, like, the, the defense, it just comes back to Brett Beach. Like, how did you let it get this bad. How was your self-scouting this poor that you didn't realize that things were uh, getting worse? And they're going to have some tough decisions to make on guys who want to keep him let go because, you know, as we see, like this defense that they have is just not going to cut it. They've spent so much capital now on fixing the, the few issues they did have on offense were real issues. And because they went in with the trades and the drafts and all that, like if there was a draft to address it, it probably would have been this past one. Because even if you're bad on defense this year, you could look at it and say, hey, you know, we've got this player, this player, and this player that fill these spots. And even if they're not stars, we know that we can develop them and they're cheap. But right now, because they've spent so much of their money, so many of their resources on offense now, and it looks as bad as it does, you know, it's the same thing that I was talking about with the Jets. Like, I don't even know where you start with fixing this outside of just drafting a bunch. There's no more, there's no more money to spend for them, really. You know, they got to get into like all the fake money, you know, changing people's bonuses and, you know, negotiating extensions and all of that to try to find maybe a couple million dollars to go get another cheap veteran and then pray that that guy turns out to be a fix for them. Um, but, yeah, to be like by far, you know, the worst run defense in the league 
and then to not be able to generate pressure anymore. Like they've always been bad against the run, but they're not generating pressure anymore. And they also can't cover. And that was not the issue last season. And to Chuck's point, if you were just regular bad, like 20th in the NFL, they'd probably be undefeated right now, to be honest with you. So that that's that speaks a lot to how low of a margin of error this offense has. And because of it, now we're getting these fake narratives where because the defense is so broken the off- and the offense can't fix it for them, people are acting like they also have an offensive problem. Uh, yeah, uh, you got to press. I mean, we've, I'm sure we've all been like a, a part of teams here where, you know, one unit is carrying the team and the other unit is kind of just dead in the sand. And when you feel like you have like an increased responsibility to get this thing across the finish line, you're going to press and you're going to make mistakes. And, you know, and I think that like that fact paired with like the way Patrick Mahomes naturally plays, it's like accentuating some of the worst things, like the few bad things about his games are really getting accentuated right now because they have to score a ton of points in order uh, to, to get past these teams. And, you know, they, they've been a little bit unlucky, like that Ravens game. If Clyde Edwards Hilaire just holds onto the ball, they got yeah, that, that done. Yeah. Uh, right. And like I said, Buffalo, like you had a chance to get back to the game before uh, Tyreek Hill dropped the ball and, and got turnover for a pick six. But, you know, I, I don't think that even even without that stuff, the Chiefs offense, like it's not been like quite as clean as we've seen uh, in recent years. And I, I, I think like just from like a psychological perspective, it's like we got to get this thing done. So we're going to press a little bit more and you're going to leave yourself prone to more mistakes. I wonder if this is their... I'm going to talk about a team that I, that I never talk about on here, uh, the New Orleans Saints. Uh, I wonder if this is their 7-9 and nine era. So, like, you know, the Saints were so good on offense for so long. The defense was, like, just good enough, like you're talking about. And then it bought, and defense absolutely bottoms out. And they go 7-9 and nine for three straight years where, like, you just can get, like, 32nd-ranked defense for, like, two of those three years and then like the 30, 30th and like the other year, like just the almost horrible defense, Sterling Moore and Ken Crawley and like these people like, so it wasn't very good. And then you get Breeze who presses a little bit more where the offense is now not number one or number two in the league. They're like five, six in the league and you get seven to nine, three state years. And then exactly. we see the Saints resurgence where Breeze is, is, is not even as good as he was in those in the, in his early career, but, he's efficient and the defense is not even in top 18. Like it was, it, it became very good for the saints and, and it's very good this year again, but um, that changes everything. Now you can, you can live in a world with defense is getting turnovers and getting stops on third down. It's the, the Kansas City chiefs are just uh, horrible. And I don't know, like one of the things that I don't understand is like, it's not like they made that many changes personnel wise on defense. I know like there's the one Thornhill thing, but other than that, it's just like players, who used to be good, used to be uh, um, elite players like Daniel Sorensen, the best safety in the league, is just not, not the best safety in the league anymore. So that's a problem. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, so that's Chiefs. And then then we get, okay, I, 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 the one thing I wanted to say was then we get like people like you said, Chuck, who are like trying to narrativize the issues with the offense more than just, hey, they're pressing a little bit more. And they're getting horrible turnover luck. And then we get like Mahomes needs to fix his feet. He needs to go look at look at Joe Burrow in the mirror. Like, what like come, please, please. We don't need to do that. We don't need to have these discussions. Um, all right. Uh last two teams uh that we want to talk about. Um the Detroit Lions, <laughs> the Owen Seven Detroit Lions. But you Chuck say that they're playing hard and that people should watch them. 
But yeah, I mean, you shouldn't watch them like if you're looking for, you know, this great execution of football and, you know, monstrous offense, game-winning defense. Like it's none of, it's none of that. To me, it's like one of the rare situations now where the game has gotten like so analytical that I feel like sometimes we forget like these are real people out there like going through the motions and, and playing these games. And, uh, you know, w- one thing that's so, so interesting to me about the Lions is like, you know, this team is 0 and 7, but everyone has bought in. Uh, and that's a hard thing to do. I mean, especially, you know, when you're losing a lot, the last thing that you want to do is keep going out there and trying and, you know, getting your ass kicked and losing all these games. But I think what's cool about the Lions is like, it's a lot of work, man, to get from Monday to Sunday or to get from January end of the season to get to August and training camp. Like that's a lot of time, effort, sacrifice, money to get your body in shape that needs to be, to learn what you have to know from the playbook wise, just to be mentally and physically, spiritually ready for the season. It takes a lot of work and it's even harder to maintain that uh, in season. And I think, you know, sometimes these losing teams get into a situation where they're just like, oh, okay, well, well, we're losing, so we're just going to try to get to the end of the game. But with the Lions, I think it's cool because you see the coaching staff, you know, especially Dan Campbell, he's, like, rewarding the effort that the players are putting in during the week, which I think is really important from, like, we talk about the emotion of sports and, the, the, like, the, psycho- like this, the, the psychological side of football. Like, you need to know that if I'm going to bust my ass and hurt myself, I got to have a chance to win on Sundays. I don't want to be one of these teams that's just rolling over the die. And then I got to wake up and come back on Tuesday and get hurt again. Like, what am I doing this for? You know, in the NFL, like you have to paycheck, uh, but it still matters that the people who like really like, control your career control, like what happens to you beyond this season that they are at least putting you in situations where you can win. I mean, I, I personally found it like a little bizarre when uh, Dan Campbell cried after they lost to the Vikings. But at the same time, like you can't say that guy doesn't care like about his players, uh, about, you know, the Lions organization, just about getting a win. And I think, you know, when you're a player and you see that emotion and that amount of caring, like it makes you want to give it back to a degree. Uh, and I think that that, Trust that trust between the players and the coaches is kind of an understated part of football. And I just honestly just found it like cool that like this 0 and 17 is kind of like embodying like all of the personal things that I love about the game where, you know, you go into that game against the Rams and, you know, I think another good thing about the Lions is like, they're honest with themselves. Like you go into that game against the Rams, bro, we probably are not going to win this game, but we can try. Like we can go for a fake punt on fourth down we can do another fake punt. We can do an onside kick in the first quarter. Like these are things that show your players, like we're trying, man. Like we're not going to leave you out there dry uh, against a better team. And to me, like it sounds kind of corny, but I think it's like kind of powerful, like to see the the human side of the game, like express itself through this crappy 0-7 Detroit Lions team. I think even when he criticized golf a couple of weeks ago, like, I know in the moment people probably took it as like a head coach that was never really wanted this quarterback or this quarterback's not good enough for me. 
But I think when he came back and then was a little bit softer in his criticism a couple of days later, to me, what I took from that was, A, to your point, that he's so passionate about this team and his players that if he sees somebody who's not pulling his weight, he's going to point it out because he's holding a guy accountable. And then after, you know, some feelings cool off and maybe he speaks with this quarterback and sees that maybe his quarterback didn't love hearing that, that he was able to step back out and say, okay, we've all got to be better. I've got to be better. We'll do some different things. We'll try to make sure he's in a position to succeed. Um, But yeah, it's like, it's all leadership stuff. And I know that we kind of get sidetracked from talking all the culture and organizational stuff because it's not quantifiable and we hear it, I think a little bit too much in kind of like a hokey, um, you know, almost ether ethereal type of sense where there's nothing you can put your finger on and say, Oh, this guy is a good coach or these guys play harder for this guy than they do for another coach. But I think it's pretty clear if you're judging Owen seven this year for Detroit up against a lot of other Owen sevens or one in six starts that we've seen before, that they clearly have a different level of pride in what they're doing. Um, and I think that, that that speaks well to where they're at right now. And if they can yeah. draft well, I think that this is the kind of head coach that can actually kind of engineer a turnaround for a place that we don't ever expect to be good. Yeah, I, I talked about this today. Like I just recorded our podcast for the Limited Counter with um, buddy Chris Corman. But the idea of like toughness in football and how it like kind of manifests itself. Like, you know, you come in, and you see that Dan Campbell press conference to start the year, you're like, what the hell is this? Like you're talking about biting off kneecaps and punishing other people. And, you know, it, it just sounded like cliche, tough guy talk, but, you know, you're kind of seeing it manifest itself on the field. And I think that this is where it gets interesting because you compare it to a team like the Giants and Joe Judge, where, you know, Joe Judge preaching the same thing. We're going to be tough. We're going to kick you in the teeth and like a more, militaristic sort of, you know, speaking style. And they're not that, uh, you know, I don't think that laps make you get tougher or up downs make you get tougher or something like that. Like you kind of see older people talk about the game. Well, if you want to get tough, just go out there and hit each other and mash each other. Like, this is the NFL, man. Everyone's tough here. You got to be a beast to get to this level to, to even get to a practice squad. You've got to be a savage to get to this level. I, uh, and you don't need to punish guys to, to get them to be tough. Like, all you really have to do, to me at least, like, this was my big thing when I played. Like, I'll go harder for a coach that just respects me as a person than someone who's going to be out there on my ass when I make a bad play. Because well, what am I out here for? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm trying. But if you're just going to get down on me every single time, I'm not going to try as much. But, like, when you can reciprocate that, that emotion, that's, to me, in the NFL, like, is where toughness is bread. Like when you look at Baltimore, like that's the culture down there. John Harbaugh's got your back and you got his back. And when you look at teams like the Saints, like they're tough, they're physical. And it's just because I think it's because of the relationships that the head coach is able to build with people throughout the organization. Like you don't have to be this big tough guy in the NFL. You just got to get people to respect you because they're here to do a job. And if they can do that job with your, your trust and respect, then they'll probably put their balls in the line for you. And this is what we heard from about Dan Campbell when he was with the Saints, that he was a guy that people respected and people because I, I, I really like the Joe Judge comparison because it's like, now I, I don't know either of these guys personally. I mean, you know, you know, Judge a little bit from your time there and um, covering them. But like, you know, <laughs> the way to toughness, as you're saying, I'm just pretty copying off what you just said, but the way to toughness isn't running laps. The way to toughness isn't doing bull in the ring 
or anything like that. The weight of toughness is, uh, like you said, having a coach that respects you and is tough himself um, and shows leadership himself that can get you ready to play each week. So I don't, and, and, and so far we've seen that from Dan Campbell. So, so far, like, would you have liked to have them win some games? Yes, but they've been weirdly close in some game. They should have won the Baltimore game, period. Um, so, like, yeah, like, I'm, I'm excited for this team. I hope they can find better players than they have. Certainly hope they can find a better quarterback because I think we all agree that Goff is not going to be the answer there. Um, but, you know, they got, they got their draft picks from, from, from uh, L.A., so they'll have some picks to, to maneuver around. And, and yeah, I just, I just – Dan Campbell seems like a genuine – person when he talks and these are the type of guys where we all want to play for and you we yeah. all want to root for it's great and i just hope that as they move forward and you know start to fill out that roster and you're not quite as desperate to win games because you you got some better players i still hope like they don't lose that edge in terms of being aggressive and and, and going for it because it's fun to watch like even if you're you're putting yourself at a little bit more risk i personally like watching that style of football so you know, I'm I'm tentatively rooting for the Dan Campbell Lions. Like, they're still the Lions, so like you can't get yourself emotionally invested into this. Yeah, they're still the Lions. All right, uh, right now you can get 25% off any PFF subscription if you use promo code Too High, T W O H I G H, um, on PFF.com. Grades and data are live for every single player who log the snap each week, and go check out the highest graded players from last week and the whole season. Uh, what can you get with a PFF subscription? All of PFF's locked article content, PFF's NFL and college football betting dashboards, our grade-powered projections, cover probabilities and betting values, 0 to 100 grades of every single player, including the top rookies on every team, player prop tool, and much, much more. Support the pod and use promo code TWOHIGH, T-W-O-H-I-G-H, for 20% off any sub. Okay, we're going to finish with Deontay. Um, and the Cardinals defense. Now, the issue, as I as I just realized, is that the Cardinals, by the time people are listening to this, the Cardinals will have already played the Green Bay Packers. So, so this is going to be interesting. Um, so you wrote about the, the Cardinals this week. People can go on pff.com and read about them, the Cardinals defense. What have you seen from the Cardinals defense that leads you that leads you to believe that they are for real or they might see some regression? Well, what I've seen is that clearly their defensive coordinator has been spending time spying on me playing Madden because that's exactly how he calls his defense. It's all or nothing, basically, at every, at every turn. Um, and it's been working for him. And by working, I mean, it's not necessarily that the data suggests that they're dominating defensively. I just think it fits their personnel because they don't have great, like, run defenders um, individually. They're pretty small in the secondary um, so it's not like, you know, when we talked with Justice and he talked about, you know, having to have big slots and stuff like that. Like, this is not a team with a bunch of big defensive backs. Um, they don't have, like, their linebackers are, have good size, but they're also not like your typical neck roll, you know, I can bench press a, a guard and get him out of the way type either. Um, and even up front, like, they play with a lot of length, a lot of speed. So what they do is they just blitz all the time. Like, they, they want to play man on early downs. Um, and if they're not playing regular cover one man, then they're playing cover zero and they're blitzing guys from all over the place. Um, and that's kind of, you know, boomer bust defense where they're going to get a bunch of TFL. So they're top 10 in TFLs. And then they also have like one of the worst uh, yards per carry averages given up. That's kind of their run defense. That's what they do. That's what they believe in. 
Um, in the pass rush game, like that's one thing that they do really well because they're willing to blitz all the time. And they're always trying to find ways to get a guy that you can't block after the quarterback. So that's been something to me that I think can uh, kind of be sustained over the course of the year. Um, obviously, you know, with the guys that they've had, you know, we'll see what it looks like once J.J. Watt is out and how they try to replace him or work around not having him um, up front. But because they have athletes at linebacker, because they have some athletes on the edge, some guys who are just raw, you know, first step, get off the ball and get after the quarterback types. Um, they've been able to scheme up some stuff where they're just trying to hold up offensive linemen and just get one of these guys flying off the edge to get after quarterbacks. Um, so that's been something I've seen as well that I think actually works for them. And then the last thing, and the reason why I do think that there's an opportunity for them um, to be successful going forward, especially if this offense stays, you know, performing at the level that it does, is that when they get in the third down situation and they don't want to blitz, they're actually an elite coverage team, um, especially playing like their cover two, their cover four stuff. They've done a really good job, not just of forcing turnovers, but taking away open targets. Like they don't give up open targets. They don't give up explosive plays. Um, they've been good in the red zone. They've been good in third down situations. Um, and it's just been interesting to me to see, you know, I think that you and I, Seth, have talked a lot about, you know, almost the opposite style of defense, right? Where you're going to play a 3-4, you're going to play with two high safeties, we're playing quarters all the time. You're not going to hit us with any of these deep over routes. Um, if you want to run the ball, we'll give up four, we'll give up four to four and a half yards but you're not going to get explosive runs either because we've got all these guys at the second and third level, whereas they're more, more like, hey, we're just going to sell out on everything. And if we beat you, we beat you. And if we don't, we always have Kyler Murray and he's going to be the guy who's going to fix it for us on the other side of the ball. And that's kind of been their mantra. And it's been working out so far this year. A lot of teams have won a lot of games with these two things, having a great offense and then a defense that sells out. What's the, before we get out of here, what's the Isaiah Simmons situation? Is he what's is he good now? Is it a bad pick? Where is he playing? No, he's not. Is he good? No, but I Jesus. think that I think <laughs> that's that, another quote graphic. <laughs> is he good? <laughs> dot dot dot. No, no. Um, but I think that for what they ask him to do, I don't think that he's bad for the role. Like because they're a man coverage team, he kind of fits. Or they because they want to play a lot of cover one, he fits. You would want a guy who's six three, two hundred and thirty pounds, and runs a four four tracking tight ends and running backs like and that's they play pass defense on every down is basically the best way I can put it you know so if you're running the ball they're going to be blitzing you because they're trying to get after the quarterback and when you do pass the ball they're trying to get free rushers anyways and I think that he fits within a defense like that now I would be more concerned if they were trying to do what Brandon Staley does and he was a linebacker there as an inside backer because that's really not his skill set at all but here I don't know if he'll ever grade well because of what they ask their linebackers to do um, and him specifically but I do think that he can function just fine in this defense specifically, and it won't be an issue. Chuck, party comments? Doesn't have to be about the Cardinals. Just uh, what's up? What's going on? Nothing. Uh, right for the weekend. <laughs> Good. Perfect. I would like to do shows. Um, all right. Well, um, Good. This was the Too High Podcast with myself, Deontay Lee, and our guest, Charles McDonald. Uh, stay tuned next week when we will talk about football some more. All right. See you guys.